I made it to the CMO level by being someone who was always logical, rational, data-driven, you know, always like the corporate mindset. And what I have done with this is I've allowed it to unfold more organically because it just felt like that was the right thing to do. There was a greater purpose here than just immediately trying to turn it into a business. I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Okay, Sarah, we're live, and we're live on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And, you know, it. people can come in and out and they can talk to us as we, but, you know, I need to start by telling them what we're here to do today. So bear with me for a little bit. If you're listening now or later and you are interested in working for yourself, or if you're, you want to work, it's the sort of work that allows you to work from home. If you want to know how other professionals are having conversations with their employers about working from home and about taking a break from work, about their mental health, how they've made 180 degree changes to their professional lives and careers during the pandemic, then you are in the right spot. I'm going to be talking to a guest that has been telling her own story as well as the stories of many other people that have joined the Great Resignation Movement. I'm going to introduce Sarah McElroy in a minute, but maybe you're new to this. So hi, I'm Renata. Benati. This is a live recording for my podcast, The Job Hunting Podcast. You can find The Job Hunting Podcast in all good podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. And if you're currently in transition, if you're looking for a job or if you're ambitious for your career and you think it's a good idea to keep a finger on the pulse on what's happening in the job market, then please follow me. You can follow me on LinkedIn follow Sarah as well. <laughs> you can follow me on Facebook, on YouTube, and subscribe to the podcast, like I said before. They're also going to my website. It's renatabernardi.com, R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. Subscribe to my weekly newsletter. There is a free downloadable resource for job hunters there that I think might really interest you. And if you're ready to invest in your career, there's a range of services there on my website. Some of them are self-paced, like the Reset Your Career, you can do it at your own time. And I have a new service called Find My Talents. And these things are actually great gifts as well. We're getting close to Christmas. So I needed to say that. Now, who is Sarah McElroy? She's a two-time member of the Great Resignation, class of 2021 and 2022. I love that about your bio, Sarah. A former CMO, she now finds herself in the company of millions of other professionals who are also, you know, found themselves in unfulfilling jobs during the resignation. So she returned to journalists. She's been writing these great stories and having great conversations in a project that she has named Raise to Rise. We're going to find out about the project today. So welcome, Sarah, to the Job Hunting Podcast. Thank you, Renata. It's so great to be here. I just love the global nature of our conversation that it's Thursday here. I'm like talking into the future, talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Isn't it weird? Yes, I love your part of the world. I want to know a little bit more about you and how you ended up. You're in Florida now, yes? I am. Yes, I'm on the east coast of Florida in a little beach town. It's lovely here. Oh, wonderful. That's such a beautiful part of the world. So tell me about, you know, for those of you who don't know much about you, will be listening from you for the first time. Tell us your career story and what led you to make such a big change during the pandemic. Sure, absolutely. Well, if I look at the most common thread woven across my career, it is that I was always that corporate good girl. I really abided by the the good girl playbook. It was like, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I'll keep my head down. I'll work harder than anyone around me and I'll never rock the boat, won't use my voice, like I'll just get it done. And in some ways that worked really well for me because I was able to make it to the CMO level by the age of 35, something I was so proud of. But what happened is that I became super burned out in that role and decided I had to hit the life reset button in April 2021. I ended up getting a diagnosis of shingles. And this was after juggling both the CMO role and an executive MBA program. And between the two of them, I was working up to not every single day, but working up to 20 hours a day and even had a couple of episodes of throwing up blood that led to the or preceded the shingles diagnosis. And it was just like my legs were moving and I couldn't stop. I felt like I had to keep all of the plates spinning. But that shingles diagnosis was really that wake up call moment for me that was like, okay, Sarah, I know you've worked so hard to build this perfect on paper, perfect on resume life. And, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. This isn't working. So I hit the life reset button. I found a new job down in Florida. I moved here to the coast, like I mentioned, and I was in the bustling metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia before this. So Mm -hmm. really made a huge pivot from fast paced city living to slow pace of beach town life. And I also, I cut back on my hours at my new job, really working a better schedule. I had better boundaries. I'm doing all this yoga and meditation. And for some reason, like my burnout isn't completely healing. It got better during that time. And actually that's when the Wall Street Journal picked up my story and I did an interview and a podcast for them. And it was, you hear the podcast episode and it kind of ends with like Sarah found her idyllic little slice of paradise and a a greater sense of peace living on the water. And that was true. But what I didn't realize, Renata, is that chronic stress and burnout are not just because of overworking and the hours that we're logging. It really is about toxic cultures as well. And so I had this nascently healing burnout wound and I'm going into a new toxic culture down here. I was actually dealing with a sexual harassment situation that wasn't properly addressed or investigated for months. And it was just like what broke open, that good girl version of Sarah that broke open in April 2021 with shingles was shattered (laughs) in January of this year when they finally did do an investigation, but it was clearly just a performative check the box exercise. And I just knew after hanging up the phone with HR, she put an hour on my call to give me the readout from the investigation that had been done, but read back to me a list of 10 bullet points in a span of all of four minutes. There was no new information in there, no accountability for the person who was causing the problems. And I hung up the phone and I was just like, I'm not going back. Like, unless it's to drop off my laptop, I'm just not going to do it. So I actually 
wrote later that night this blistering anti-harassment, you know, power of women's voices, resignation letter. And I took my laptop into the office the next morning and I hit send on it. And I sent it not only to my boss in HR, but the CEO. And I walked out the door. I didn't even give two weeks notice. So like good girl, Sarah of 2020, if you had told her that this is what the road would have been for two years and that she would have done that, that she would have left on not so great of terms, wouldn't have given notice, like she would be horrified. But that is the theme of what is happening here. We're seeing so many people hitting a breaking point, really starting to ask those important questions about what's important to them. And that's why millions of other people are making moves like this too. Wow, Sarah, that's going to resonate with so many people out there. You know, I have lots of people that write to me about the podcast and they tell me their stories. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to send some of them your way (laughs) because I know you've been capturing these stories. But, you know, men and women, you know, I know you have a focus on women's stories, but I know a lot of my clients as well, men and women have been really struggling and some friends of mine as well. And at all levels, you know, senior levels and the grassroots levels, if you're in the workforce during the pandemic, you have had a breakthrough. You know, uh, even if you're still working, you know, there has so much that has shedded away from us. So many husks and layers that have shedded away. We are at our core, you know, and I think in many ways that is a good thing. In some ways, I feel you know, that I've left behind a couple of things that I'm worried about regaining them. So I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But now you've decided to do a second pivot. How are you feeling now? Because I'll ask you this, pivot into having your own project, your own business can also be stressful. It may sound romantic (laughs) at the beginning, and then you realize it's hard work. And you are such a high achiever. I know how much work you're putting into this. (laughs) Tell me how it's going. Great question. No, I love that question so much because you're right. We romanticize the entrepreneurial journey, right? You know, it's one of those things that I knew it was going to be hard, but I'll tell you, actually, I was having this conversation earlier today. The biggest thing that I didn't expect going into this wasn't the work itself. It was actually what it required of me as an individual on a very raw human level. We're talking like Sarah at her most vulnerable, having to face demons and figure out you know, new ways of working and how do I even balance being burnt out and then also building something of my own. And it has been, I love that you asked that question. And I want to be really honest that it hasn't been all puppies and rainbows all the time, but nothing is in life. Right. And I wouldn't treat it for a second because this work speaking with women about their stories and to your point, men as well, it's been amazing how many men who've seen I'm doing this work and have reached out to this work is more rewarding, impactful, purposive than anything I have done in my entire career. And I would not change it for a second. And the levels of personal growth that I think are coming out of this, because I'm having to your point, having to shed those layers, I'm having to become the most authentic version of, of Sarah to even show up like this on a live and tell my story. Like that wouldn't, I don't think that would have happened in corporate or at least not this quickly. And so it's been a really beautiful, magical, terrifying, hard (laughs) journey, all in the mix, right? Like all the nuance, all the grayscale. 
And, you know, I love what you're doing. I've read some of your stories. I read your own story. And I can see that you're building this momentum to potentially monetize what you're doing because is, is it revenue generating at the moment nope. or are you still building not. the reputation? Yes. Really, for me, what this was is that so when I quit that job, I did not have a true plan in place, which I do not recommend. Like, don't get to that boiling point, that point, you know, that boiling point that you would just have to pull the ripcord immediately. That's certainly a lesson that I have learned from all of this. I wouldn't change it because it has fueled all of this, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's really hard on our nervous systems, our, our, you know, mental health, everything. But I originally thought that I was going to do something in that space of burnout because of that Wall Street Journal article. And my story was really at the forefront of like pandemic burnout and what we were doing in our careers and how we were recovering and the stories and the personal messages that I got after that came out from strangers around the world. It was like, you know, salve for a broken spirit. It was like, there's something here, especially in the fact that we are having conversations about burnout with our friends at happy hours and dinner catch-ups and play dates and those kinds of things. But like, we're still scared on a larger scale to speak about it really openly with our personal experiences. And so people were seeing like a private message to me as a safe haven to discuss their challenges. And so it was like, there's something here and we need to keep this conversation going with the return to work and us kind of all being put back in the, the box. It's like, we can't lose this momentum. So that's what I thought I was going to do, Renata. But then with what happened in the way that my last job ended, and I was so just impassioned about my experience and what it also likely meant for other women getting mired in these spin cycles of burnout and you know, toxic work culture, just craziness. It was like, I can't be the only woman out there experiencing this. So yeah. that's actually what inspired me to do Race to Rise. And I wanted it to be really pure to start mm. of just capturing voices and being able to share out the stories. And yes, of course, I have to have to make a living and it's becoming a book, which I'm super proud of. And I think there's real opportunity to also create amazing spaces for women to have support in yeah. figuring out how to what I call consciously quit, which is yeah. to empower yourself to walk away when you need to, but do it in a way that is, you know, graceful and intentional and purposive. And it just feels like this has been the right evolution. And the last thing I'll say on that too, is that yeah, Sarah, I love what you're doing. And I want this to be a lesson for any anyone that's listening here, because if you are in transition, it's such an important thing to build that reputation. Don't jump into job hunting mode straight away. Don't jump into, you know, figuring out a business strategy straight away. If you're, you're going into business, building your reputation for your thought leadership and what you want to then pursue as a, a commercial pathway is so important, right? So um, when I, I talk to clients, I do LinkedIn audits. I, all, I have a group coaching program running at the moment. We're halfway through and I insist that they need to keep posting. They need to find their niche and find their message and use LinkedIn and lose whatever talent they have, if they like writing or if they like talking, whatever it is that they like to do, send that message crisp and clear about your thought leadership and you're building your thought leadership from the ground up from a personal experience, that's fantastic. For other professionals, it could be that they love cybersecurity or that they love 
project management, whatever it is that you are passionate about, start developing this habit, this discipline of nurturing it and serving a community that's also interesting. Interested. I mean, look at you know the amount of people that you were able to build as a community around you, right? Of people that can relate to your story. We can see somebody here saying that they were also diagnosed with shingles in 2021. Ah. I mean, if you've had shingles any time in your life, take that as a red flag. <laughs> it's yes, a terrible definitely. Thing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, I just, Renata, I love that so much. And thank you for bringing that to bear because we are often taught in the sort of churn and burn, crazy frenetic pace of our economy to figure out your business plan and start monetizing immediately. And like that didn't feel authentic to me. It didn't feel right because it's like we're this is more about a conversation and helping people to change their lives. And if I can start there. I know there will be good that will come out of this and I'll be able to, you know, to turn it into something that can pay my bills. But like at the forefront, I agree it is. It's about building trust and respect in your reputation before just showing up and saying, hey, pay me money. I've got things that you want. Like that's not the way the world works and it's not the way to show up with heart and purpose in business. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, if you were between jobs, Sarah, there's this fear of being unemployed that people have yes, that just yes. brings that the negative spiraling down of their own mindset, you know, yes. causing what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. And I feel it's really the mindset. It's really the, the, the mindset that allows them to reach that place where they find it harder and harder to get jobs. Whereas if you treat your transition period as a sabbatical, as a proper break, Absolutely. go rest, go to Peru like you did, or even yes. if you can't afford <laughs> to go to Peru, just go for walks, you know, just do anything except think about work and then go back into a project or not necessarily a transactional approach where you're already trying to yes. monetize everything, find a job very quickly. That usually doesn't work really well. It doesn't well, gel well with your right. network as well if you're trying to bring your network in, in to support you. Totally. Well, and I don't know about Australia's history in this space, but for us in the United States, it really goes back to the Industrial Revolution and how Things changed at that point in time when our value became associated with an hourly rate at work and our the homeostatic orientation of our society really shifted in such a way that you in the workforce, you are valuable when you are producing on an hourly rate and that's the only time you're valuable. And I think it is such garbage, honestly. And I love that a lot of people are starting to challenge that. And this doesn't mean anything about, you know, not being a hard worker or doing your, your full amount of work or anything along those lines. But we are just so much more than an hourly rate. And if we have a job tied to us, like we can expand so much when we don't have work at the forefront of our lives, like it can actually be a really powerful opportunity. And again, I, I don't want to discount the fact that if we have to pay our bills, like that is so important. So not saying anything about that, but if you have the space and you know, you're okay financially and you can, you can disconnect a bit from hustle culture and turn and burn. Like that is powerful time that you can use to to just grow and figure out yeah. exactly what you want next. Like that space is so beautiful and so hard to find when you're working five days a week and hardly having any time off in a year. 
Yeah, I have a friend, I'm not going to mention her name because I'm not sure if she wants me to talk about this yet, but we have discussed this in terms of making it into a podcast. We sometimes think, okay, what would happen to us if life imploded and we had to start from scratch? What would you do? Mm. <laughs> and, oh, I um, love that. Yes, and she's super, you know, successful at what she does, but you know, like you and like me, we're always sort of grinding and hustling. Yeah. And we would, what would we do if we had to start over, if we could start over absolutely from zero. And usually, you know, you come, you come with the best ideas when, when you think like that. And I think in a way it's almost what you've done. So I'm really fascinated about, about your story. One thing that I wanted to ask you as well is, there's no question that you are a high achiever. And even when you're sort of relaxing and going into a different mode, it seems that you you can't not be like super high performing in what you do. Am I right? What what do you think are your key strengths? Sometimes when strengths overflow, they become weaknesses. You know what I mean? Oh like you have too much of something and then it overflows and it starts impacting your well-being. What do you think your key strengths are? Yes. Well, I mean, I can think of a perfect example right now in that I've been working on some new content and I have found myself spinning my wheels because of that perfectionism piece. And, you know, it's like always that sort of, that sort of joke that, you know, like that's a really cliche thing to say in interviews where they ask you what your weakness is and you're like, oh, I'm just such a perfectionist. I spend too much time on things, but it is for me, I think, it's both. It's a double-edged sword, right? Like I am super committed to if I'm going to put anything out there, I want it to be really high quality because when it's high quality, it can help the most people. And I also think too, as to your point of respect and re reputation, I want to respect that people are taking valuable time and attention. Like time and attention are most limited, precious resources. And if you're going to give me any of that, I want to make sure you have the best and things that are going to help you. But gosh, does it spin me sometimes, you know, yeah. I just get in my own way. Yes, yes. But you are such a great writer. And I think you're absolutely right. I used to run a lot of events as part of my work. I used to work for a think tank and professional associations. So I used to run events for hundreds of people. And I used to tell the team, this event is competing not just with other companies that do events. This event is competing with time with family, with time yes. learning, with, you know, a quiet lunch with some friends. You know, if you want them to come, we need to put people on the panel that really, really makes a difference. And you, yeah. you need to make the event super a great experience for everybody. So I, I get it, you know, and, and I think, you know, when you start your bio saying you are great resignation class of 2020, 2021, I thought that that was so funny and cute, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> who is this woman? <laughs> so I get it. Yes, I, I feel like whatever you do, you will always have this sort of high performing gene inside you. And I yeah. noticed that in some of the women that you've interviewed, there's one in particular Alexia Felix. There's yeah. one of the video clips you have in your blog. She says, Oh, I was, I started doing this program and I was, you know, sitting down and doing 11 hours of training no. a day. But you could see that she chose to do it. It's yeah. different when you are in a working environment where you don't like the culture, where you don't like the jobs and, you know, you have. Yes. 
tasks and responsibilities that are not aligned with your your talents and the things that you like to do. She chose to do this very intense program to train her to start a new career. Yes. That adrenaline kept her going. So I find that the burnout is not so much the hours that you put into work. It's the quality of the work that you're doing and the quality of the people around you. Is that what you have felt with people that you've interviewed? You know, that's a really interesting question. I do think you're on to something with that. What I personally think with burnout and the whole kind of like the increase, the influx during the pandemic, it was like all of us had baseline stress levels pre-pandemic that were at a certain level and we were adapted to that, right? And then all of a sudden you throw a, a swan event and a global health crisis into the mix and everybody's baseline level is ratcheted up much higher. And then there are all these new challenges that accompany just like us walking around in a collective trauma all day. So from the standpoint of our nervous systems, everybody was operating at a much higher level of that parasympathetic arousal and not able to be as much in that rest and digest state, which is really important. So that's the one thing I will say is that I think even with, I totally agree with you that sometimes like we can get that burst and be in flow and work for hours and hours and hours. And it'll be like, light, you know, gone in a flash. And I think with Alencia, like it was that kind of thing for her too. She's super motivated and super passionate as she was doing all that tech stuff too. She's like a social media influencer, has two kids, like total rock star. But I think too, that we have to, even when we're doing the things that we're passionate about, watch out for the amount of time we're putting in physically too, because our bodies are just our bodies, right? Like even that that's a hard thing. And that was what I found with Raised Her Eyes. I had, I was working with a coach right after I started this project and my boyfriend was saying like, I don't even see you. You're now doing your own thing, which is not making any money, but you're working more than you did before. Like, how does this even compute? And she was I'm telling the coach this and like, how do I stop? I'm just like thinking about it all the time and I can't stop. And it becomes that sort of thing of like, how do we still remember, even when we are high achieving, we love what we're doing. How do we still find that ability to unplug from that thing, knowing that if we completely squeeze every ounce of productivity out of us, no matter how much we love it, there still will not be more to refill and Mm -hmm. to be able to use moving forward. You're absolutely right. And as you were saying it, as I asked the question, I immediately regretted it because there's an interesting article. I believe it's also Wall Street Journal. I will link it in the episode show notes when, when this podcast is out about this wonderful woman. And i I think she's also a journalist and she burnt out from a job she loved. And she wrote an article a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and it was just brilliant. And it's very possible for that to happen as well. And it happened to me a couple of times. So yeah, I was just thinking you're absolutely right. But you do get into a flow when you start a new career, when you start a career that you've chosen and you've decided to invest in. And I think that that's the flow that you're in now. And some of the people that you've interviewed are feeling that flow as well. So it's exciting to see that. And I love that it can happen at any age as well. It's not something that's just for younger women or, or men. I know you interview more women, but I find that that's really motivational. What has been the impact on you? about the stories that you have found and that you're sharing? Are they helping you build 
you know, an awareness of what's going on and maybe think about ways that you can service this group of women that you're talking to? Yes. I mean, absolutely. It's been so incredible that people would like, it is the greatest honor to have people share their personal stories and like very vulnerable personal stories with you. And that's where I was starting out with all of this is like, we were hearing all the statistics all the time about the great resignation and the millions of people walking away. And it's like every single one of those data points that are laddering up into those statistics, that is a person and a story to be told. And what I found from it is really like, yes, where are the pieces? What are the pieces that are missing from the current career playbook and the things that we're taught, and especially as women around good girl conditioning, that's come through really loud and clear too in this work. Like, mm -hmm. what are the things that are missing from what the tools we have currently at hand that we need to be able to be more empowered and to be able to architect our careers with greater intentionality moving forward. So where I've really landed with my focus is like, it's not about everybody just waking up tomorrow and walking out Jerry Maguire style. Like it's nothing like that, but it is when we know that something is not working for us, when we know a job is taking more than it's giving, we give ourselves permission to walk away and find whatever is going to lead us to greater fulfillment next in a way that is really consciously aware, aligned with our values, our desired work style, our lifestyle, like, and is moving us in the direction toward work that is right for us for this season of our lives and what we need. Because I think as women too, as you, you talk to working women, there's like the career playbook, right? Or like conventional wisdom around careers, which is the linear path, Pick that one sort of lane generally that you're going to stay in for the next few decades and like climb the ladder, pull down fatter paychecks, chase fancier titles and done and dusted. Like you're going to be, that's a happy, fulfilling, stable career. But mm -hmm. I just think there's so much nuance that is missed in that. And especially as women too, because like that doesn't work for, for all women. For example, if we have kids and we need to downshift or take a part-time job or take time out of the workforce, whatever it might look like, I felt like we were really missing the comprehensive professional women's playbook that was an update to that kind of older way and took into account all of the zeitgeist shifts that occurred during the pandemic and the great resignation and the moves toward flexibility and priorities and all of those things. So that's really where I've netted out with that. And I think there is massive opportunity for us together to link arms and to, to create a sea change in how we approach work collectively as a result of this, if we start to embrace a new approach and let a lot of the old shoulds, the old conventional wisdom that's archaic and obsolete, let it go. I think you just found a, a good byline for your book, a comprehensive women's playbook. I love yes. that. Please yes. consider Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I employers already listening to you. Have they been in touch with you to get ideas to maybe see how they can better no. communicate with their employees? Mm. No, they have not. I and I've not had conversations with employers in the space of like traditional employers. I think I'm a little, you know, I don't know a hundred percent, right? Everybody's, they always say like, 
how people perceive you is like not your business, right? But it is, it's curious. It makes me, it makes me curious. But I think I'm seen as a little bit rogue. <laughs> in this a little bit. I just am, yeah, right. A little bit. Okay. A lot rogue. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, I just so believe that the more we are all empowered to, to take the steps that we need to find work that aligns with us and is, you know, lights us up like that ripple effect of how we show up in the world every day when we're, you know, it's still work, right? But like, as if we're as happy as we can possibly be with it, like the impact that we not only have at the office, but at home with our families, with our kids, with our friends, even the stranger at the grocery store, like that is huge. So I've, I think I'm still a little bit of an outsider in that regard with the traditional yeah. corporation, but I will tell you, I've had a couple of amazing conversations with female founders who are working with mostly 1099 contractors as their employee base and they're working moms and they're, they've worked it out so that women can establish what their schedules are during the week. And they can even work, you know, like some of the women will be like, I can do Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8am to 5pm, but I'm not available any other days because those are the days I can get childcare. And then some women will actually like kind of take more of an overnight shift, like the, probably the seven to 10 range. And they both said, so I have two, only, only two data points, but I do think it's really cool. And it speaks to the opportunity to to think about creative ways of staffing and and running businesses and they've said that it takes more communication and more planning and there can be mix-ups but there's such buy-in and engagement because these women want to work that's one of the things too that like yeah. drives me a little nuts with the common refrain around the great resignation nobody wants to work like i have not found that from my research and the new women in the workplace report that came out from mckinsey and lean in you know serving organizations I think 333 organizations with, with 40,000 employees found that like that, that's what they're unequivocally saying. Women are, it's not that women don't want to work. Women are breaking up with bad jobs and bad yes. workplaces. So yeah, I it's, um, it's just fascinating. And I do hope, what I do hope yeah. is that more companies I know this is a crazy time, at least here in the States, when it, when we look at the economy and everything starts to focus and shift really on the financials and things start to where there were investments in greater employee benefits and flexible opportunities and things like that. A lot of that can get pulled back in economic downturns. But I do hope that on the other side of whatever this contraction ends up being, there is more conversation about all of this. And we really are bringing more of that bottom up approach, asking people what they want rather than just top down and trying to check boxes of thinking we solved the problem because, mm -hmm. you know, we give people rest days once a quarter or something like that. Sarah, when I, when I made a joke about you being rogue, I think, you know, what you're doing is so much harder to do because it's grassroots level. So when you talked about the McKinsey's and the lean-in service, they are yeah. great service, and but that's usually what organizations tend to move towards. You know, the the rational arguments, the numbers and the metrics, whereas you're yes. providing an emotional depth to this to this situation yes. that we're finding in now that people are not used to seeing. You right. know, you might find you know an article here and there 
with a you know a paragraph about a person but you are deep diving into these people's lives and that you know is ground re- grounded research i think is what they call in social sciences that i think as as you start building more and more of that the magnitude will sort of start causing a little bit of a steer. I think it has already because you've been, I've seen your name <laughs> in so many yes. places, but I, <laughs> I love that that people have opened up to you. So for example, I'm a coach. I can't share my client's stories like that, right? Right, right. It's all private, and and uh, but I know that they are there. And then, and in especially in the sectors where y- you and I have navigated, which is the white collar, sit behind a desk, corporate, nonprofit, or public sector professionals, they don't like to share those things because yeah. it can be a career limiting move for yeah. most of them if they totally. do. Mm. So I, I, I love that we have become more open about this and that we're finding it okay to talk about mental health, well-being and find better places to work for. On the other hand, Sarah, where you are in the US, we have leaders, like lo- global leaders like Elon Musk asking everybody to come back into the office. Goodness. Like and like work crazy hours. Uh, yes. Did you hear about the form that he recently set out that was like sent out to the teams? And it was like, if you're not committed to working intense hours, then you should take a severance package and you have to fill out this form and check yes, that you're you're going to commit to this. I know. Oh, it is Renata. tough because so also nice. like I, I, I think that people will probably stay. You know, I, a friend of mine wrote a LinkedIn post yesterday I mean, I could feel his emotion <laughs> writing about the situation in Elon Musk's Twitter and, and all the businesses. And But if you look at all of the businesses that are now happening you know, in the tech sector, you would, what would you do? Yeah. Right, so right. How, how do you feel about that, that lack of awareness? Or is it, are we pushing too hard? You know, I'm trying to be the devil's advocate here as well sure. to think, are we pushing it too hard? This sure. remote work, will it work long term to to grow the business, you know, and 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 find, for example, my area of expertise in the past has been research and innovation. So and I worry about R and D done from home. I don't know that that's right. possible. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, I think as with anything, right, like we try to, we love us some binary thinking as humans and either or it has to be this or it has to be that. And we don't allow for that, that beautiful liminal space in between the polarities that allows for there to be so many creative solutions. So I personally I think that there are certain businesses that can be run completely remotely. And there, there already are, right? Like there are already organizations that are run completely remotely. To your point, though, there are definitely organizations. And especially if you think of like retail, brick and mortar businesses, hospitality, et cetera, like people have to be present. So again, there's there's the spectrum, right? But I don't think with the more traditional professional office setting, I don't think that I think it's a myopic approach to force people back into the office because people, you know, we went home during the pandemic lockdown, they saw productivity actually increase. So all of those arguments about productivity declining when people work from home were proven to be moot points. And then now, I don't know, this, this probably hasn't come across your way because it's here in the States, but 
productivity and output has declined by the highest amount that it ever has here in the state since 1947. And now they don't have causal effect with this, but there's speculation that it's around quiet quitting and things like that. People feeling burnt out and disengaged and, you know, forced back to work with the return to work and all those things. So again, no direct causal link. They're speculating, but I think it is telling that there's we're trying to, it's like taking blinders off, right? You take off the blinders. You can't unsee what you've seen. Like the toothpaste is not yeah. going back in the tube. If I've had that taste of flexibility and I've been able to be, you know, think about it as like a working mother. If I'm not commuting home and I actually get to like sit down with my family for dinner, that's really magical, precious stuff. And then you take that, that boon and you juxtapose it against the fact that we were just in the middle of a situation where we didn't know if we were going to live or going to die. Those two things coming together tell me, like, it tells us how precious those moments are. And so I just think it's so short-sighted for organizations to think that it has to go back to the way it was. And I don't think, I think to your point, yes, absolutely. This is like, if you're in a sector that's in difficult times and you need to put your head down and do what you need to do, do that. Absolutely. Like take care of your family and those things, but you can also be planning during that time and figuring out what your next move is going to be because we have not solved all of the problems that are causing mass levels of burnout. You know, there was a Deloitte study that came out back in April of this year that found more than 50% of women intend to quit their jobs in the next two years. And that was a global study of 5,000 women. That number skyrockets to 90% on a five-year horizon. So only 10% of women intend to be with their current employers in five years' time. I mean, that is telling us the way we work is not working for the majority, the vast majority of women. And if we aren't solving the problems at hand, like burnout and stress were the top two reasons cited, then we're going to continue to see this be a problem because we've, we've recognized it, we feel it. We're not going to just be able to go back into the the way it was before, you know, like a time machine. That's not yes. possible. Yes, I, I want to go back to I, I I want to go back to what you said before about the second workplace and how toxic it was. We have a comment here from somebody who's saying women don't leave their jobs; they leave bad bosses and toxic yes. workplaces environments. Yep. And and that is that is very true for women and and men, by the way. But I I feel that especially for women, it, it can be very toxic because pre pandemic women have. Uh, being the majority of the professional workforce asking for flexibility, yep. you know, and and exactly. and having to take slow lanes in their careers during maternity leave and coming back yeah. and, and finding that they had lost their status quo. And, right. and that has always been very problematic, right? You dealt well, that's with... that's what the report found. Yeah, I'm sorry okay. to interrupt you. I was just going to say, that's yeah. what the report actually said, is that like women are specifically saying toxic cultures. They're not saying they don't want to work. And the report found actually women leaders are walking out at the highest rate they've ever recorded since the inception of the report. So 10 and a half percent. And that means to put it at scale for every female promoted into director level ranks or above, there are two that are walking out. And they're like the, the CEO of, of Lean In, Rachel Thomas was saying like, this is disastrous. This is creating a pipeline issue because if we already don't have enough women in leadership and we already know that's true from the numbers and the report, the data is there. 
And then you have women walking out faster than they can be promoted. We're going to lose a lot of the, the efforts of that we're making against diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those things. So that's what the report is saying is like, to be clear, women are not quitting because they don't want to work or anything like that. It's like these are they they're breaking up. It was called the great breakup. Women are breaking up with bad cultures, bad bosses, all of that. Yeah. I think it will be interesting to see if the the distance between individuals if they're working remotely will make some of the problems disappear because you're just not in front of people, mm, but not because people right, just right. are better bosses. You know? Right. But, that would be I've interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. I mean, just anecdotally, right? But I've heard that from people who've said, like, it's more tolerable because we're not around each other all mm -hmm. day long. And I can appreciate that, right? Think about boundaries and just like energetic boundaries and stuff like that. If I can just hang up Zoom and we're done and I'm not, we're not in the presence and people aren't dropping into my office all the time and things like that, like that can make a big difference. Yeah. Sarah, what, what are other things that you have found interesting that surprised you when you started talking to women? Were there any sort of big surprises that and things that you yes. did not expect to hear? Yes. Well, so to the point of rewriting the professional women's career playbook, the, this was really the inspiration point for that. So the really the singular red thread running through all of the stories of the women who walked away is that I'm asking women because I'm so curious. I'm, I guess, always being both a journalism major and I've just been fascinated by psychology all my life. I wanted to ask women about that decision point. Like what led you to walk out the door? And I found that women were talking about just knowing that they needed to leave their jobs. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't do some of the other sorts of mental gymnastics or rational exercises like spreadsheets and plan, you know, budget planning, pro-con lists, or even talking to family and friends. But those exercises were actually secondary to more of this gut instinct, this gut knowing. And I was floored because I'm like, you know, the good, the part of me still entrenched in that good girl conditioning is like, well, that is so irresponsible of us that we would be making these career decisions based on instinct. And like, what are we thinking when the playbook has always been security, stability, you know, logical, linear moves. So you can tell a great story about your resume. And it just, it blew me away that it was like, in this sort of breakthrough that has happened as we've shed the layers and we've questioned a lot about those more arbitrary rules related to how we live our lives and work. For example, to your point of going into the office, all of a sudden that rule that everybody has to be in the office five days a week went out the window and we realized like that was actually not as big of a a reality or a necessity and reality as we thought it was. We are starting to reconnect and question as we question we're reconnecting with this deeper part of us that is that knows what's best for us and so that really floored me because when you look at the this idea of intuition and not all women use that term and some people are more comfortable with it than others but it was like women from a scientific standpoint and the way that our brains are wired we are wired to have better access to intuition and intuition mm -hmm. is on a scientific level is proven, I think it was a study in, in New Zealand in 2016, where they researched it and found that it's really this like subconscious pro processing that's happening because we have these amazing bodies <laughs> that take in all this information, our subconscious brains that are also processing information that like our rational brain is only 
just like half of our intelligence, or that's kind of what I say, I guess that's not the data point there, but like, it's only part of our intelligence. And when we're not accessing the rest of that part of us, we are cutting off part of our power. And so I was just floored. It was like the great resignation is almost becoming this grassroots movement of women reclaiming this gut instinct and being like, no, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. I'm going to find something that's right for me and something that's better and aligns with my priorities and my values. And I was just, I just found that to be so powerful. And then I'll add one little thing to that in that what came through were like three ways of knowing. And the first was that sort of like Hollywood shot out of the dark, you know, light bulb moment that, you know, you need to quit. The second was more of a gradual build and like collecting of little data points that ultimately lead to the conclusion that you need to walk away. And oftentimes that leads to a breaking point. Cause like, you know, it's like paper cuts can lead to, to a point mm -hmm. of, of really hitting that sort of a straw that broke the camel's back. And then the third is more of acceptance and surrender of like accepting I'm not going to be able to change what is making me unhappy here at work. And so I'm going to surrender to knowing that I'm just going to have to extricate myself from the situation. And that can either be like super empowered and like peaceful. I accept it. I'm going to move on. Or it can also feel like disappointing because at that point we can also be surrendering because we've tried and we weren't able to fix it. But it's still that sort of like, okay, I'm going to accept that I can't change what I can't change. And my choice is going to be to move on. Oh, I love all three. I love all three. I want to talk about intuition because I find that fascinating. And it's a topic that I talk to my clients a lot. I want to know what you think about my, my, my way of explaining intuition to, to my clients. It's, it's easier to have intuition about things you're competent on things yes. that you're good at you know so intuition to me is more powerful if they are linked to the talents that you have the experience you have as a professional your competency so let me give you an example i i have a, a, an assessment that i i represent called talent predicts on my website it's called give my talents if you're interested go and have a look it's an amazing report and I have a, a very strong intuition, um, a talent for relationship building. I was a relationship manager all my career. So, you know, that's kind of the thing for me. So I have an intuition about people's body language. I'm, I'm able to go, you know, when I walk into a job interview in the past, for example, I would kind of know if I had a job or not just by watching, you know, what they did with their hands and how they looked at me. I have that great intuition. I have an older son, Gabby. He has a great precision you know, and organizational skills. He has great intuition to figure out which companies are bad companies and which companies are not <laughs> bad companies. He's a short seller. <laughs> so, you know, like he has intuition for me is linked to that. If you put your, you know, your focus on something, you know, we were talking about thought leadership before, you start building, building more and more understanding of that topic and your intuition just grows. So you have to listen to that. It's linked to your talents. It's linked to your experience don't shy away from that because yes. rationality is also a concept that we have it's one of the voices in our hands but yes. ideally you want to make decisions that include pathos and ethos it include exactly. arguments and emotional arguments otherwise you're disconnecting from your self from your being exactly. it's not a holistic decision so yeah so we we work a lot on building intuition to go through the job hunting process because Whoa. it helps 
it helps a lot. You know, if you're intuitive about the next step and you're not just navel gazing and just thinking about you, 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 but you're watching the audience who is on the panel, who's talking to you, you, you find yourself more aware and you can only do that if you're not afraid of job hunting. If you're afraid of job hunting, you're going to fight and flight mode. You, your brain just doesn't compute. Right. Right. Totally. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Well, to me, what you're speaking of is really Daniel Kahneman's research on intuition. Absolutely. And yes. right, like he says, there are conditions for intuition. Uh, and I'm going to, I may not get these 100% right. So if you're interested, definitely check them out. Maybe you could link them in the show notes, but it is really I fascinating. Yeah, yeah. His, his research is like that, that the conditions to use intuition have to be, it's got to be a predictable scenario. So they, he says, for example, like the stock market is not a great place to use intuition because it's really hard to predict what the heck is going to happen. But like a predictable scenario, you have experience in that scenario, like making predictions and seeing if they're right or wrong. And then the third is that you're able to get feedback quickly on whether or not that yeah. intuitive hit was was correct or not. But here is the the trick or the kicker, at least. And this is a Sarah theory based on my research. So I'm not Daniel Kahneman, but where I think there is limitation in that is that I, I would agree very much if we're looking outside of ourselves, right, in, in spheres of or like our zones of genius or things that we're trying to be good at. But I think that there is a piece missing because it's not that model doesn't always fit. I talk about these amazing women if they hadn't walked away. So like, for example, if Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of Spanx, hadn't walked away from her job as a salesperson selling fax machines door to door, we would not have the billion dollar company that is Spanx. And she spent, I believe it was years actually trying to convince buyers that there was a a women's shapewear market and it is a multi-billion dollar market right now. So if you think about it, Kahneman's logic would fall down there, right? Like that is not a rational thing or even an intuitive thing per his model for Sarah Blakely to do. But she followed a nudge and a knowing that just said, Sarah, like you have to do this. And she just did it. And there are so many stories out there like that. And that's where I just think like, as much as I love the, the science around all of this too, where I've also ended up with the book is it's going to be a combination of science and like academia and like the, the, those things that can be observed, measured, measured, uh, and like we can find facts, figures, data, evidence, et cetera. But then also soul, because there's a part of life that is, there's a little bit of mystery and you do, you see these big leaps that some of these women take and these big risks and we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have, the, the impact of their world-changing efforts. Another woman is Sanira Madani, who left a stable job at First Data to take on the white male-dominated industry of fintech to create stacks payments, which she led to unicorn valuation status as a woman of color. Like, that is amazing. And so I want... When we think about being, you know, smart and making good decisions, not to discount that part of it that is a little bit mysterious. There's yeah, I like part that. Of it that sometimes just knows. I like that. And I, I think that we need to nurture that. That's that's basically innovation. You know, the, yes. the innovation has that mystery to it. Yeah. You can hypothesize it and you can, you know, sort of problem solve it. And it comes from just allowing yourself to think for yourself. And one of the things that worries me about the corporate sector is that it 
especially when you're beginning, if you're a graduate, I don't know what sort of graduate program you got into, but you're not allowed to think for yourself much. <laughs> it's really about uh, grinding. You're training like people, age, right? Exactly. Yeah, to just follow the rules and 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 do all the boring work that the other people don't want to do, and they're usually not very inno innovative. It doesn't allow for creativity. So we kind of, especially in our generation, yours and mine. I don't know if the younger generation will have you know a better into this, but we have not thought for ourselves in a long time. And yes. I think that that oh. you know, great resignation is probably opening up an opportunity for people to start reviewing and reflecting on their careers and choosing things for for the next decades to come and, and, and two decades to come. I don't know. Doesn't It has nothing to do with age. I have found that. Yeah. I have Agreed. clients in their 60s that are studying uh, completely new careers and, and new ways of thinking about their profession. So... This has been so inspiring and I want to talk more. I think I'll have to have you again <laughs> on the podcast when that book's done. Please get in touch with me when, when you have something new to share because I think people, I can see from the chat and lots of women have really related to your story and I'd love to have you back, Sarah. Please keep in touch. Thank you. Will do. Yeah. Thank you. This has been beautiful. And I really appreciate that you wanted to turn this into an event that people could interact with. And thank you all for anybody who's watching, who's been commenting. It's, this is really powerful, important stuff. And we're, we're making, I can feel it like seismic shifts as we, as we talk about these things and keep these conversations going. Well, you have a friend here down under. If you need any <laughs> help it. reaching out to Australia, please keep in touch. Let's be in touch from now on because I really love your work and you can be a, a guest on this podcast anytime. Thank you. All I right? appreciate it, Renata. It's been and wonderful. Have a lovely weekend and thanks everyone. And I hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye.